The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. My name is Darian Douglas. Hey, good evening. My name is Gregory Ajid. Yeah, today we have a very special guest all the way from Nice. Is it Nice or is it nice, Greg? Nice, France. No, you cannot call it nice France, <laughs> Darian Douglas. <laughs> my, my mom and dad are rolling their eyes right now. That's right. <laughs> if y'all don't know, Greg Greg is actually of French descent, you know? I don't really know that, no French words, but you know. Well, you know, it's, it's actually kind of funny because um, my, my grandpa grew up in Nice. So oh. once or twice growing up, uh, I was able to visit. And that is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And if anyone has an opportunity to, to check out the French Riviera or Nice, please take it. Hey. <laughs> It'll be good for you. <laughs> yeah, man. I love France, man. I love France. France is, uh, I love the food, you know, the food, the food, the food. When I was single, I loved some other things, but now I just love the food, you know. And why don't we get right into it, man? <laughs> Darian Douglas on fire already. In the morning, you're already, you're already working right. for it. But, but check it out. So this, this morning, we have a very special guest. Um, this guy is uh, really taking over the internet and uh, leading a new wave of saxophone education, music education, um, content online. And we're, we're very pleased to have the founder of bettersax.com, Mr. Jay Medcalf, joining us. Jay, how you doing today? Hey, what's up, Greg? What's up, Darian? What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I, I, we're both very honored to have you here, and thank you so much for making the time to uh, to join us and uh, and share your story and uh, your experiences with us. It's my pleasure. It's my great pleasure. So maybe maybe we can we can just jump right in and just get into it. So so Jay, you're you're originally from uh, New York. That's right. And um, I just kind of, you know, you, you've at, currently, you know, if you were to type in bettersax.com or, or you type in your name on Google, you, uh, you know, you pop up with uh, this YouTube channel and, and social media following of millions of people and and uh, just a worldwide reach. And, and you're, you've reached saxophone celebrity status these days. <laughs> And so maybe, you know, I really wanted to spend some time breaking down how, how you got to this point and uh, what drives you to, uh, to, pr- to, to create all this content for the, the next generation of uh, saxophone players. So maybe like, um, like what, when's the first time you heard the saxophone and, and what, 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 yeah, like what's your first memory with From the saxophone the and what inspired you to, to be this, the Mr. The Better Sax Man? Well, yeah. I mean, you make it sound like I had it all planned out from... <laughs> You know, when you, what you just said, like the following and the people that watch me, it's all kind of virtual. I mean, it's only when I go to NAM or like these conferences and everybody recognizes me that it becomes a reality for me because it's just, you know, it's just like view counts on YouTube. You know what I mean? From where, from my perspective. So it's still when people, when, you know, when you say things like that, it's still like kind of blows my mind, you know, like a saxophone celebrity status. I don't, 
think about it in those terms. Um, uh, but um, yeah, so the first time I heard the saxophone, first time I heard the saxophone like live in front of me that I remember is when I was 10, I think, and they were demonstrating the instruments for the band. You know, they're like recruiting band members at an assembly at school, you know? Did you have one of those? I actually, I remember <laughs> the, the clarinet players played Pink Panther and I was sold. <laughs> Okay, I wanted to play the trumpet, okay? <laughs> I wanted to play the trumpet. I went home, said, Mom, Dad, I want, you know, the, the assembly band. I can join band. I want trumpet. And my older brother, was I had already played the saxophone, and he had already switched to the baritone saxophone. He was three years older than me, and we still had an alto. So I was like, well, guess what? We got an alto, so that's what you're playing, you know? <laughs> and that's, you know... So now I'm glad that that worked out that way. And also my father had played trumpet and he says, you don't want to play trumpet. You know, he said, <laughs> you don't want to play trumpet. You should play saxophone. It's a better choice. So there it is. That's love right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so growing up to so you, were, did you partake in the band programs and, and things like that in uh, elementary, middle and Absolutely. high school? I, yeah, that was a big part of, that was like, for me, the thing that made school kind of worse going to, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's what I looked forward to every day at school. And yeah, I mean, I would say I took it pretty seriously. You know, I kind of devoted all of my um, energy into that and not so much my other studies, but I did put a significant time into, you know, every extra bit of time I had, I would go to the band room and practice and hang out and just kind of do that thing, you know, and I'm glad I had that opportunity. Yeah, man, that's dope, man. So, so you go, you're coming up in New York, you're going through the band program and then what happens next, man? What happens after that? Like, are you, are you on the okay. scene playing yeah, with yeah, cats? Yeah. What what happens? Happens? So um, at some point, you know, you're at school and they say to you, you know, you're like a junior or something and you have to decide about going to college, right? You're going to go to college. What are you going to major in, right? And they, like, you have to tell your advisor this, you know? And I, I remember like I had that meeting and, you know, a few minutes before that meeting, I was like, what am I going to major in, you know? I said, you know, how about music? You know, and it was like that. And that, it was that just, you know, spur of the moment decision. And I decided to major in music. So they're like, okay, well, here's the state music schools in New York, that you can apply to. And I applied to them and I auditioned and, and then I went and I majored in music. I went to SUNY Potsdam, which oh. has the Crane School of Music mm -hmm. upstate New York. And so I did four years of like, you know, the full on music study thing. And then, you know, once you get, once you start going down that road, you're, you know, you're in, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're in. Absolutely, absolutely. Omnibook, two fives, scales and thirds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah. That's crazy because it's it's funny, you know, Potsdam. Um, I had a girlfriend that moved to Potsdam from New Orleans. So that's like the only reason I have that 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 city, that town in my consciousness. And it's funny that that you actually coincidentally went there because it's such a it's a tiny, tiny town, like way You've been later. there. I haven't been there, but I've oh. I've heard a lot about it. But what, what was it like studying music out there? Like, you know, you kind of, I mean, you, aren't you just like a, a few minutes away from the Canadian border? And yeah. And it's not, it's, it's like Arctic up there. It's in this, yeah. 
this climactic zone where it's climatic, climatic zone where it's so cold, where it's so cold. It's like even colder than like when you go to Montreal, Montreal is cold, but like I'm sure Potsdam is even colder. So it just snows. Like it snows. Like you start school in September and like second week of school is you're, it's, you're covered in snow. It's like that sort of thing, you know? (laughs) And then, the snow doesn't melt until May, you know, until like the week before you go home, you know, it's like that. Wow. So you don't have a, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the stuff that people normally do at college, um, the partying and everything, but there's also, you don't have a, you know, you're just in stuck inside. So you practice if you're good, you know, if you're, if you're a good student, you practice. <laughs> Man, what was it like living in that situation? Cause I, I went, to, I'm from Mississippi originally. So I went to college there. And I'm curious if you had to create situations to 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 play. If you're in the middle of nowhere with no clubs and stuff like that, how did you how did you kind of? Yeah, yeah. Well, we had we had jam sessions at school all the time. Um, you know, as far as situations to play live, you know, bars. You know, just like it's it was hard to play live music in the bars without being 21. You know, so there's that whole thing. Um, not that we never went to the bars, <laughs> you yeah, know, we, yeah. but it was, you know, it was like this awkward thing. Um, and then, yeah. And a lot of, we did like a lot of playing situations. We, yeah. We did have to create situations like do, uh, classes, you know, do like do, uh, workshops for like local schools and, you know, in the, in the region and do stuff like that. Um, and we did get some sport like that, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like growing up in a, in a populous place where there's lots of opportunity to play live for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I'm just curious if that, if that, in you know, that vibe transferred into your, your content creation, you know, where you're just like, all right, I, I got to create something outside of the norm. You know what I mean? Interesting. I never actually thought of it that way. <clears throat> I think, um, well, that's interesting. Maybe we'll figure out how <laughs> Maybe by talking this through, we'll figure it out. I, um, so in my last year at college, I got this letter or like as my junior year, I got this letter where I was invited to, um, apply to the study abroad program. And this really like turned me on. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'd love to go to another country. I've never been to another country, you know? So, I filled, you know, I filled out my application and I had choices between my, my two choices were like England and Sweden. And the place in Sweden was like even more remote than Potsdam, New York. So I was like, well, I don't want to, do, I don't want to go to Sweden because that's just like the same thing, you know? So I went to study in Birmingham, England. Uh-oh. Birmingham's like a, a, a big city, uh, like an industrial city, you know, it's kind of like, Maybe like the Detroit or something of uh, of England, you know, one of those sort of places. Um, so I went there, and while I was there, I started traveling around Europe, and I went to lots of. I just started just going to different countries because it was so easy, these uh, trains and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in France by accident, totally by accident. I had actually, on one of my trips, I had met a guy in a, in a hostel and he just came up to me and started talking to me. He saw me by myself and I guess I looked lonely and he came up to me and he started talking to me. I remember his name was Bill, Bill from, and he was from, um, 
somewhere in Canada. And Bill said to me, you need to go to Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I I swear, 100% truth. And I said, okay. You know, I didn't even know. I knew I had heard of Nice because I had taken French in high school. I was very, I was the worst student in my French class, by the way. (laughs) And I, so I'd heard of Nice because we used to have to like use it in sentences, you know, but that's all I knew about Nice. And I had, I made my way to Paris at some point and I was in Paris and it was the winter and it was miserable and cold and I didn't, I wasn't happy. So I said, uh, I, I thought of Bill and, and he's, and I said, Nice. Okay. So I went to the train station and I said, I'd like to a ticket to go to Nice. And they said, no, <laughs> that's what they, that's just something they say in France a lot, you know, no. You know, they like to, you know, and I, you're at the wrong train station. You can't possibly go to Nice from here, you fool, you know. So I had to go across town, get to the other train station, get my ticket, and then just got on this train. And this was back, this was 1996. Okay, so this was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, this was before the fast trains, you know. So it just, it was like eternity. I was on this train for an eternity. <laughs> and I had no idea how long it would be, you know, because... It was, you know, the, the information, it was like kind of before our information age. Right. <laughs> and I finally got to Nice and I got off the train and it was night, nighttime. I got off the train, it's palm trees and it's warm. It was December, but it's warm. And it's palm trees. And I just kind of fell in love with this place right away. And I, and I very quickly met these musicians and started playing music. And started playing music on the streets and in bars and just... And I was having a time in my life. And, you know, I had one semester to finish at college. And I like, I called up my mom, you know, and I was like, mom, you know, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm in the South of France, by the way. I'm not coming back. <laughs> That's going to be the, every phone call that someone's mother's dreading to have. Right. You know, like, you know, I was like 21, it's like 21 years old, you know, but I'm still like a kid, you know. And uh, my mother was like, you know, just didn't, she didn't take me seriously. She's like, no, you're, you'll be coming home. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just going to let you know, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And then, so that kind of started this love affair with the South of France and Nice. And then I did go back, I did finish school, but I kept coming back to the South of France because I would come here and it was just music. I would just play music. I didn't, um, I didn't like when I was in New York after college, I was, teaching, I was playing gigs, I was repairing saxophones. So I was kind of doing the things that freelance musicians do to make ends meet. You kind of try to get as much, as many gigs as you can, right? Right. Um, so you're just constantly working and hustling and trying to get, you know, move things up to the next level, little by little. I mean, that's the way it works for most of us. Uh, but when I would come here, there was none of that. It was just like, yeah, you could just play music just play music and have fun. And it wasn't like you didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't this struggle, you know, that I felt like I always had to struggle uh, in music at home. And, and besides that, there was all the other benefits. It's like the beautiful food and, the, and just the, the place and just the vibe and, and the, um, you know, the exoticness of it all. And yeah, so I just dug it and learning new languages and meeting people that were from every, you know, just the diversity of people that I was yeah. meeting and playing with. And 
I mean, it's, so it was uh, like intoxicating. And when I would go back to the States, it was, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So this went on for a while. And during that time, I didn't just live in Nice. I lived in Paris. I lived in, I even lived in uh, Copenhagen for a while. And I, tr I traveled extensively with street bands playing music. All of, we would just, what we would do is we would, um, I mean, this, it sounds like impossible nowadays. Okay, but what we would, this is what we would do. We would rent a car. It would rent a car. Uh, and I guess it just didn't cost that much back then. We'd rent a car like for an open-ended trip. And we'd get in a car and we'd start in Nice. And we would, and it, we did this in the summers because in the summer it gets kind of hot and, and, it nice to, and it was lots of tourists. But in the other Northern Europe, it's more mild and... Um, so what we would do is we'd drive and first we'd go to Italy and we'd play in some places in Italy on the streets. And then we would make our way up. And this was also before Euro. So everywhere we went, there was different money, you know, oh, so wow. we just have like, we'd all have like a, you know, our instrument case or whatever, just like all these different currencies, you know, they were saving up. And then we'd go to Switzerland and in Switzerland, we'd stay in this hostel. And I mean, this stuff cost nothing back then. I mean, I can't remember what it was, but it cost nothing. And we would, busk in switzerland and they and they paid us in uh the swiss francs which were like double i mean it was like everything was just double the right. money you got you know and then when we got tired of switzerland we'd go to germany and we'd go through germany and same thing stopping all these places and then we'd eventually make it to denmark and and do the same thing and we just and one one summer we went all the way up to oslo in norway wow. Wow. with this rented car you know went all the way up and then, you know, because it'd be like four of us in the band and we just share the expenses of the hotel, you know, we'd all be like sharing hotel rooms and stuff, you know? Yeah. And then we'd work our way back, you know, after a couple of months. And that is, so that was a very rich experience for me. Hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> and I don't know how that relates to what I do now. <laughs> I guess I live here now, but. Yeah, I think a lot of that experience kind of influences the way I teach, though, because um, it has nothing to do with what I learned in school. <laughs> you know what I mean? That whole, that whole, like I had to, I basically had to relearn music all over again. Absolutely. When I started doing this, because every, everything I learned in school was like, wow, actually, it doesn't, it didn't apply to, impromptu perform, you know, daily performances for a different, you know, group of people with, from different cultures every day and, you know, everything done by ear and by, you know, with musicians, like, you know, we teach each other songs, you know, on the spot and, you know, it was just a different, it was a very, um, it's just a different way of learning music than in school where, you know, things are written down, things are so organized and, you know, so it was it was improvised in so many ways, and and you know in my courses that's kind of something I uh, I really stress is is learn music the same way we learn languages and, and just you know with your ears you know listen mm -hmm. and communicate with other people that's first you know learn how to do that the other the other stuff you know reading music and what you learn in school is great. But so many musicians, I think, start out, myself included, start out with just that view of it. 
And that's like missing, that's just missing the whole picture, you know, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually, I'm, I'm completely amazed to hear that, that story of you traveling through Europe and, and, and busking and things like that. Because I think what really, something that I really love about doing this and talking to different musicians is, is like hearing stories like that. Like, you know, seeing you online, you, you appear to, I mean, you're extremely polished, you're well presented, you're very well spoken. The, the, your presentation of the material is really like on the highest level possible. And so then like I'm picturing you in your 20s in a bus or in a, in a car with <laughs> four of your friends just- you know. Check it out, man. <laughs> no, but let me, let me complete the picture for you because it, that stuff, that was very polished too because what we did, mm. we all wore suits. No we, way. We, we, like, we, had, we all wore suits and it, it might you might've gotten, you know, you know, we, we, so we'd be wearing those suits all the time. So when we would arrive somewhere in our car, you know, in a time we did, it was all about, <clears throat> we had to tr- try to maximize our earning potential, you know? So when we arrived somewhere and it was good weather and it was like lunchtime when people are outside eating outside at the ta- cafe terraces, sometimes we would literally jump out of the car, get our instruments and just start doing the show <laughs> with our wow. suits on, you know, cause, and, it was always like whenever you arrived in a new town, like for the first day or two is when you'd make the money, most money. And after you'd been there for a while, everyone's kind of seen you, you know? So then like, they don't, they're not dropping as much. So the part of the benefit of like moving around so much is everywhere you went, like no one had ever seen the act before, mm. you know? And it, so, it, so it really worked. And if you overstayed your welcome, you know, the, you would make less money. Yeah, but yeah we were we tried to have uh, like a somewhat polished. I mean, maybe I don't know how polished it was, but we tried to at least give the appearance that we were, you know, because you know, looks um, people. I've always said, you know, people hear with their eyes often. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the tip of the the average audience member is is first making a judgment with their eyes. Absolutely. So you want to. Um, you want to win them over with the look first, if you can. And then you want to win them over with the, the show, with the music, with whatever you're doing to another level. And then you ask for the money. But, but you know, it's all, about, it's all about kind of winning people over. And, and you know, and this, so lessons like that, I do get applied to my YouTube and all my content creation. I try to make things visually you know, appealing. Uh, I try to make the con- the video content move quickly because it's all about winning people. And, and today, people's attention span is so much less. You really have to win people over with your titles and thumbnails of videos and, you know, your Instagram. When you're making an Instagram post, you know, people make these long Instagram posts. Most people are only watching the first 10 seconds if, that, if you're lucky. So make those first 10 seconds really count. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I I wonder like when you started getting into 
like heavy content creation on YouTube, like were you cognizant of like, I need to start a cult? Because I've been thinking about this whole cult, especially what's happening in America now. But it seems to me that every successful content creator, politician, what they do is they start cults, musicians, any anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and you have these supporters that believe in you. You see them on Twitch. You see them on CNN. You see them. You see them everywhere. Were you cognizant of that? I. Don't, I mean, I'm. I don't think of it. I've never really thought of it in terms of that. And I. I mean, and I. And I. I don't think I, I have a cult. <laughs> I, think have, I think I have people that, that maybe like watching my videos. Yeah, and- cult might not be the right word. No, nah, man. <laughs> I, 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 will, I disagree with both of you. And I, I will be willing to bet a billion dollars that you have a cult. Just the same way that, that everyone else, like Wynton Marcellus has a cult. Whether he wants to admit it or not. And you do too. Well, perhaps. It's, it's not something that's really crossed my mind before, though. Mm. So... Um, and I, yeah, I haven't thought about that, but it is, um, you know, with my, with, with my content, I just, I try to be myself and I, and I have a lot of respect for the people who I'm making content for. So I'm, I'm honest with them and I, and I get so much positive feedback from people through comments and through emails and that I just try to, uh, live up to that you know, for people the best I can. And I really enjoy what I'm doing. So that kind of, it becomes, I won't, I won't say easy because it's a tremendous amount of work, but it's, I'm always motivated to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, so I was, I was like digging into your YouTube the last couple of days. And, and I, so I, I saw like maybe the, the first videos that, that you have you had posted were about four years old. And so I was wondering like, so what, what kind of drove you or inspired you to to start getting on social media and to to brand yourself as better sax and and again like start the game of content creation of of doing the instagram social media making um uh, online lessons and uh, courses and things like that what 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 motivated you to to begin that or <laughs> well <clears throat> um okay so the the all the online content was made because I had, well, I had this idea for a course. I was in this, it was in this band um, that was doing a lot of traveling. And all we did was travel and play and just all over the world. Uh, and we were constantly traveling. And you know, when you're on your touring and you're with, and you're with the guys in the band, you know, you become very close and you just like, you just with each other all the time. <laughs> and you just, you know, oh, yeah. and eating all your meals together, and, you know. And, or you're in a car and I was always like the driver, you know? So, uh, I remember, and we did this one gig where we were, we did this gig and we were in, uh, in the Bahamas. We're at, uh, we're at the Bahamas in this resort for like a week or something. And, uh, we had this other guy, this other guitar player with us was a friend of the bass player. And he was just, you know, he was just spending this week with us, but he had developed this online uh, course and online platform where he's selling his courses. And he told me about it. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, you know, that's not like something I could do. And so it took me uh, several years, but I finally like developed 
this course. And the idea of the original course uh, was the my pentatonic foundation course, which is basically uh, just a way to uh, get people started going in this new direction of like, well, if, you just, if you're just using your ears and kind of, and you just, and you, and you want to play, <clears throat> you know, popular music styles um, without getting into like heavy jazz or heavy, you know, complex things with pentatonic scales and stuff, you can really play a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and you could at least get started using, you know, using your ear and taking music you hear on the radio or stuff you've already listened to growing up, turning it in, into music on your instrument. So I had this idea and I developed that course and then that, and then I was like, well, I have this course and I want to tell people about it. How do I tell people about it? And that's when I started a YouTube channel. That's crazy. Cause it's funny. Like even we're, we're in, you know, today is November 23rd, 2020. And so it's funny to to look back and reflect on what YouTube was two, three, much less four or five years ago. And, and, and YouTube is nothing like what it is today back then. And so what, what, what was the experience of, of like um, navigating this, this new frontier of, of, of video and, and, um, and, connecting with people like how, how did you were you getting immediate responses what was it a thing that maybe you just kind of kept hacking away at and expecting uh you know maybe if i make a hundred videos i'll have some followers or how, how was the experience at the beginning um yeah i had no expectations really because i yeah i, I knew nothing about youtube actually i had <laughs> watched you know this was like four years ago or so and as you said, and I had watched YouTube videos, um, but I had, you know, I had no expectations. I didn't know like what a YouTuber was. I didn't even think I knew of that term. Uh, so I had no expectations and I, um, I just started making some videos and in my first videos, you didn't even see my face. I was just making like a slideshow videos, you know? And I don't know how, I don't, I really don't know what happened. Everyone's always asking me like, oh, how do you make YouTube work? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe you got to get lucky. I don't know. It was no, it was not like I, I thought this was going to work. I really had no expectations. I just started mm. doing it. And it, as it works, you go, you take things to the next level. And so, yeah, what I've tried to do is, basically make every video better than the last video somehow, which gets to the, which gets harder and harder as you go, you know? Uh, but I get to this point where like, ah, oh, that last, you know, my last videos were so, were really, you know, I put so much into it. I can't go back to making slideshow videos, you know? So yeah. it has to, you, you set a standard and then you have to stick with it. So, but that, and that can kind of get away from me too, because then I started like spending three days on a video. I'm like, well, this is unsustainable, you know, unless I only make one video every couple of weeks, you know, it's just unsustainable. So finding a balance, you know, and, and then you got to do your Instagram. It's, it's still very much a work in progress. And as you said, YouTube has changed a lot. It's constantly changing. So it's, it's like it's kind of an organic thing where you're just, you know, you're just reacting and to the response you get to how your videos perform. 
and constantly going with it, always with the kind of having the assumption in my, the back of my mind, you know, one day YouTube could just disappear and it, will, it doesn't even exist anymore. So mm. I try not to base everything on that either. Man, as things, uh, you know, in the world change and technology becomes more, plays a more important role in all of our lives, like how can young musicians listening to this coming up uh, attain some of the skills necessary to do things like video editing and sound editing and things like that, or, or, or even just filming a video. Yeah. So check it out. I learned, every, I knew none of this stuff. I knew zero. Well, I mean, zero, everything I knew I had learned myself. So hmm. when I was making my first YouTube videos, I was using Keynote on my Mac. You ever use Keynote? No, I never used that. Well, no. it's a slideshow. <laughs> it comes in your Mac. If you have a Mac, you have Keynote. And it's, it's like a, a slideshow thing for making presentations. <clears throat> so I started using that. And I, I never used the program before. I just learned. And if I ever didn't know how to do something, I went on YouTube. How do I do this? You know? Yeah. And, and then I was like, oh, I, I have no idea how to make videos for YouTube. So I go on YouTube. How do I make a YouTube video? <laughs> you know? And there was, there was just everything I learned how to do I learned by watching other people demonstrate it, mm -hmm. you know, usually in YouTube videos <clears throat> and, you know, by just kind of figuring it out. And that's, you know, when you, when you kind of go down that route, you realize, wow, there's a whole world of people using YouTube to learn how to do something. And you also see how they use the platform to like, you know, nor, you know, like what I do is I'll, I try to give out a lot of, quality, valuable information to people with the hopes that a small percentage of them will enjoy that content enough that they're going to want to continue studying with me by one of my courses. I'm perfectly happy that most, that the vast majority of people are just going to enjoy that video, get something out of it and never buy anything. But that's kind of <clears throat> how it's supposed to work. Um, and if, you know, people send, send me a nice comment or click the like button, whatever, that's great. <clears throat> uh, and I kind of learned that process through using YouTube to learn other processes, <laughs> you know. I'm so, I'm so relieved to hear that. Sorry, because I feel like that's like a lot of what Darian and I have <laughs> been doing over the last couple of years in, in creating this nonprofit and, and, and kind of navigating the world. And, and I really, you know, not only does cat, uh, does YouTube provide amazing cat videos, but it is actually, <laughs> you know, this unbelievable educational resource that you can, you know, it, it, in 2020, you can type in anything and you can essentially educate yourself on, on becoming, you know, from mixing in logic to, you know, philosophy to anything, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> to saxophone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, um, and, you know, I, I do remember in the beginning, there was like this, this kind of concept like, oh, you can't teach music online. You know, that's, you know, that's not something that needs to be done in person. And for someone who's always taught music in person, you know, I, I was, I was like, you know, does this work? You know, mm -hmm. does this work? Are people going to get real value from this or do they need to have a one-on-one -on -one teacher? And then, you know, and then I realized, from the, the people getting in touch with me, so many people telling me, wow, this is great because, you know, I don't have a saxophone teacher anywhere around where I live. And 
or, you know, I've been taking saxophone lessons from somebody, but I just really didn't enjoy it. And I gave up and now I found your videos and now I'm back into it. You know, so it's just constantly like daily, I get multiple messages like that. So I'm like, okay, so it does work. And I also get all the messages from people saying, well, I've learned so much. People saying to me, man, I, I went to school for this, or I, I, I took lessons for all these years and you know, in two days and learned more from your course than I learned in all that time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so it does work, you know, certainly for a lot of people. And then, and in my own personal experience, I have also been taking other people's music courses and stuff, because how are you going to, you know, you got to check out what other people doing are doing to, you know, to better what you're doing. And I have, uh, and through that, you know, I've learned from people in online masterclasses and, and things or on different instruments, you know, when I want to play, when I want to get better, like, you know, piano or <laughs> something, you know, I can go on and yeah, I'm learning really well from the online thing. So, so it does work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember that was a thing and I didn't want to be like, oh, you know, telling people don't take live lessons because I do think it's important to still have one-on-one contact. And this was all before you know, our current situation with the pandemic, which made like, which has changed everything. And a lot of people always say to me, like, wow, it's like, it's like you knew this was going to happen, you know? Um, Because now it's like, we went from a thing like, oh yeah, you know, they're taking, you know, online teachers are taking away the livelihoods of, of live one-on-one teachers. And, but you know, that, that argument kind of (laughs) stopped, you know? Man, I, I find it interesting the online thing because because you do gain a lot. You get access. You can get the, you can get the information in small bits. You can rewind it because sometimes when you're taking a real lesson, you're like, "Damn, I, I didn't really get that." But you can't rewind it. Yeah. But I think one thing you do miss, and and you can tell me how you deal with this in in online lessons, is that personal connection and that mentorship. You know, you don't really get, people don't really get to know you, and you're not really you don't really get to become their friends. In well, a certain sense. Yeah, then that's that's interesting. I would say um, it, it, it becomes very one-sided. Whereas I think because I put so much video content out, when I meet people that have been watching my videos, hmm. they feel like they know me. Like, And they know a lot about, they probably know more about me than a lot of people I know in real life. You know what I mean? Like if somebody were to watch or listen to this podcast, they would have learned so much about me that, you know, some of my friends might not even know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't talk about these things with them all the time. So I think some people really, you can, and, and people that I watch a lot of their content, I think I get the feeling I really know them. And then if I were to meet that person, they're not going to recognize me. This, this, this makes me think of something. And this is a lesson I learned. Do you guys know who Gary uh, Vaynerchuk is? Yes. Gary, absolutely. You should, especially if you're doing any sort of... Okay. So I think it was last year I was doing a gig here because, you know, near Nice is Cannes, the city, and they do mm-hmm. uh, the Cannes Film Festival. And they, the other big thing they do there is the, the Lions Club um, conference. Mm. And I was doing a, a party at some big villa, you know, jazz, uh, jazz trio thing for some... F- fancy party on a 
and a big villa on the hill with the infinity pool and, you know, like one of those sort of deals. And, and I'm there and I see Gary V at the party as a guest. <laughs> the other guy's middle, like, oh, it's Gary V. I'm like, who? You know, it's Gary V. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm like, dude, it's Gary V. So I go up to him at some point, you know, you know, I go, I get my glasses, I'm on a break and get my glass of champagne. I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna pretend for a minute I'm a guest. <laughs> go up, go up to Gary B. And I'm like, hey man. Uh, and he's like, hey man, how's it going? Puts his arm around me, you know, and like he knew me, like we grew up together, he looks at me. And that, right there, I was like, whoa, that's heavy. He looked at me, because he gets this 50 times, 100 times a day probably, right? And his reaction, he knows that I watched him. You know, he knows that I know him. So he, when, when somebody comes up to him, he's like, yeah, I, gives them that as though. And what I was doing before, like when I would first go to the conferences and people would recognize me, they'd say, Jay, hey, Jay. And I had no idea who these people are, you know? So I'd be like, oh, who's that, you know? So I learned from Gary, like, you know what? Like when you're on, when people are watching you, that's the way you want to, you know, when someone says your name, it comes up to you. I learned like, wow, you know, um, I don't know them, but they know me. And it just kind of changed the way I interact in those situations. So I, um, so to answer your, your, your question, yeah, I think they do kind of get to know you. It's not, I don't get to know them, unfortunately, so well. Um, but they do. I think they do know me pretty well. That's that's a beautiful story. I really I really love that. And you know, it's funny. I, I guess um, as, as you're telling that, I'm like reflecting on experiences when when I've had the opportunity to meet someone that I've grown up watching or admiring. And you know, there's there there. I feel like the story goes one of two ways. It's like, hey, it's so nice to see you, and I feel welcome and so thrilled to have had the opportunity to meet this person or very let down because the person is not trying to mess with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I always try to be respectful of that, but um, you know, of people's time and things like that. But how, do, you, do you feel like a sense of responsibility kind of like what Darian was saying earlier about like with the audience and things like that? Do you, do you, how do you view your responsibility in the way you present yourself to to the, your community and to your your viewers? And, and do you feel that you know again, like you're providing so much information to them? You're you're essentially their access point to saxophone to the world of music education. And how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I definitely feel a lot of responsibility uh, to get things right. <laughs> you know, when I'm giving information and also. Uh, it's because there's so many sources of information, teachers or books or whatever. I think I've always tried to um, encourage people to keep an open mind um, because we get into this thing, especially with like, it's like, it seems nowadays more than ever where information is put out there and it, things, people deal with things in absolutes. And, you know, with like music and with a lot of things, there's multiple viewpoints, multiple perspectives that are valid. So I just pre present my perspective, the way I look at things. And, you know, and even the way I look at things in music evolves over throughout my life. And it's, it's, it's like that for all of us. 
So I think everyone just kind of needs to keep that open mind, be open to, and the way I see something or the way I hear something might be completely different than the way someone else does. And that's okay. And that's actually part of the process. And that's something I didn't always get when I, when I was learning music, it was almost, I, I often, not all the time, but I often got, felt like I got this message, like, this is the way this is done. You know, and then you'd go, and then you'd take another class or another teacher or whatever, and they'd be like, this is the way this is done. Like, wow, that's very different than <laughs> the other way. And then, and then, and the more different people you study with, you might get that like five, six different ways. And then you have to, and then you're kind of put in this position where like, oh, I have to choose who's right and who's wrong. Hmm. And I think if everyone just said, you know, this is the way I do it, you know, and you know, someone else might do it differently and that's totally valid too the more different perspectives you get and then you can make a combination of those or go in your own direction. You know, that's, it's all okay. So I, I think that's an important thing that I had kind of missing. Um, and I, and I want to, I want to tell people like, listen, you might hear something different from another teacher. That doesn't mean they're wrong or, or I'm wrong. It just means we all look at things differently and, and that's good. Yeah. That's a good point, man. It's kind of like, you know, it's like making gumbo, you know, when I make my gumbo, it tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes better than Greg gumbo, but his, they don't make his gumbo bad. No, know? but but uh, no, that's that's actually that's incorrect, man. Because my gumbo will always be better than yours. <laughs> Listen, Jay, man, I'm curious, man, because you're a great storyteller, man. I'm noticing that as as this conversation goes along, and are, were you cognizant of that, like when you're teaching and when you're creating your videos? Are you like, all right, I need to make this a story so I can bring the people in? I have that's something I've heard. A lot. I mean, that's something that gets that people have been telling me my whole life. So, in that sense, I'm aware that some people think I tell good stories. I like telling stories. That's why I told you in the beginning. You know, once you get me going, you have to you have to tell me the time's up. You know, I actually another another source for me of um, I used to do I used to do this thing. I used to work for this um, like. Uh, environmental um, advocacy group, you know, where we would, uh, you know, it was like a political thing. And, and I used to have to motivate a bunch of volunteers on a daily basis to, to, you know, to go like save the world and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> I guess I got chosen to do that. I was good at kind of talking to people. So, and I got a lot of practice, you know, I got a lot of practice while doing that job. So. I have I have one more serious question, <laughs> and then I then I feel like we should just like ask funny questions, and <laughs> really really get to know you here. <laughs> um, but but you know maybe like coming up, I, I, you know it seems like you have a, a growth mentality, and again, if there's something that you maybe you're you're not not able to do, you have the ability and the mindset to learn it. And I was wondering maybe throughout throughout your years, um, reflecting back. What, what is the one thing that maybe you had to teach yourself that didn't come naturally to you that has benefited you the most in, 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 in your life? For, for me, a lot of times, I feel like it's like trying to be social. I'm, I'm very introverted and I, I always have to really force myself to, to go out there and interact with people. And so that's, that's, a, that's a skill I'm trying to learn. And I was wondering if there's anything... In, in your world that, that has changed, changed you? And, and um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I have, I can't really nail down one specific thing. I don't feel like, I mean, I guess some things come naturally to me, but I do feel like everything is a work in progress, you know? So it's hard for me to even, everything is a work in progress, really. Um, and everything can be improved upon. I'm not like a perfectionist. Mm. I, don't, I mean, I don't think of myself as a perfectionist. If you look like my desk is always mess, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of irregular about, you know, when I, when I feel like I work too hard, I just stop, you know, and I say, okay, today I'm not going to do anything, you know, and I try to just keep balance and stuff. Um, yeah. I, I find it hard to answer that question. Greg. <laughs> Man, I'll ask you one, one more serious one. And then Greg can ask all these funny questions, but <laughs> what, what would you say is your biggest failure uh, in your career? Or in life, and how did you learn from it, and, and to to turn that into something positive for yourself? You know what? That's another hard one for me to, because you know we often think about that. We often like think about regrets. I don't know if it. You know, I'm actually, I think like very happy. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's some of the, it's one of these things. Like I, I as I kind of went through my life, I was like, you know, I want to be a musician. At some point. And then I kind of made that happen. You know, I'm not, I never thought of myself as a great musician, but I made a career out of it, you know, and that was cool. And it was like a, you know, I checked off that, my goal, you know, always work in progress. Right. And then I was at some point, I was like, oh, I want to live in Europe, you know, and I just, and I didn't did it. I just left, I had a whole life, you know, with jobs and work and bands and students and everything. I just said, one day I was like, you know what, bye. And I went and I moved to the south of France and that was it. And, uh, and I made that work. And then I was like, oh, I want, I need to learn how to speak French, you know, and I did that. And then, I mean, so throughout my life, I'd kind of like always had like a short list of goals, you know, and, and, and one by one, they kind of get checked off. Mm. And that always brings me like a lot of satisfaction and pleasure and happiness you know, I wanted to have a uh, start a family. So I've had my daughter, she's five years old now. I mean, that for me is like, wow, that's like the greatest accomplishment, mm, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a whole list of, um, of new mini goals that come along with that. So I just kind of go through and I look at every failure or any, you know, as temporary, you know, anything along the way was temporary and it was actually part of, achieving the goal that I eventually achieved. So I don't even, I, you know, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way at the time, but later on, you know, I was like, yeah, well, if I didn't do that, you know, the, the, all these pieces wouldn't have fallen into place for this to happen. So I think I just look at it that way. And mm -hmm. so I, I can't answer your question either. Well, you answered it, you answered it. <laughs> no, that you was a great it. answer. That was a great answer, man. Thank you. So where, 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 where do you, where do you see yourself like moving forward in the future now? Like, you know, again, you, you in the next five, five years, where, where does, where does Jay head and, and where do you see better sax going? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, this was like, if I had a goal set out to become like the number one saxophone YouTuber, I don't know. I'm not saying that I am Matt at all, but like, I've way, I've far exceeded 
any expectation I ever had in the beginning. So I was like, this isn't even, this is like all bonus. Everything that's going on for me right now is complete bonus. Mm. Uh, the popularity of the website and the courses and the YouTube and all that, it's a bonus. It's still like, I'll record something and play, like make an Instagram video and I get all these people watching and liking it and everything. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, I don't, I have no expectation. So it's all bonus. Um, I just want to, you know, for now, I think of it as just, I just want to keep continuing doing the content because I'm enjoying it. And I, and uh, I just want to keep going in that direction until things change. I'm also, I'm expecting things to change Hmm. as far as, you know, YouTube is what it is today, but it's constantly evolving. So I'm thinking about in terms of like, well, I just want to, you know, I think the whole world is going to be changing as a result of this thing. And so I just kind of want to, stay on top of it um, and change with, with things as, as they evolve. Uh, and, you know, part of the thing that's important to me is like almost taking the, the saxophone world and the music world in a lot of ways is behind when it comes to technology. And so I'm, part of me is like helping more people kind of access the present and the future, you know, and take them out of the old way of thinking about things, which I, a lot of it, I disagree with, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really good point, man. It's, it, it is very difficult. Like I always tell people don't be blockbuster, be Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, cause musicians are having a really hard time right now making the transition to, to, to online. It's like, okay, we used to play in clubs and now that's not available. So, but, but we can reach everyone with the yeah. camera and a microphone. Why don't we do that? You know? Well, and the thing is about what musicians used to do, it, even before the pandemic, a lot of that stuff just stopped working really on a, on a, on a level that was sustainable to have a, uh, a comfortable life. Yeah. You know, when I, I did go, I moved back to New York in 2005 and I went and I did my master's degree at Queens College. And so I was in New York five years, working musician, studying, doing all the same things. So, um, and and I had to work really hard. I went back to the thing was gigging, um, teaching, repairing instruments, you know, whatever to, to get by and working seven days a week, basically. Mm-hmm. And some days, you know, you're, you start teaching, you know, you leave your house at seven in the morning, you teach all day. Then you, you go to a rehearsal and then you go, you know, and, and it's just constant. Everybody knows like that, right. That, that vibe. And then mm-hmm. having to say yes to every gig. You know, you just, there's no, like, there's no, like, I, oh, I'm not going to do that game. I just say yes, because you have to. How are you going to pay your bills? You know, do every gig, just every thing, you take it. So I did that for a long time. And, and that's, and that's not even available to everybody, you know, that sort of opportunity. And it's hard and you never get ahead with that. You know, you'll always be behind in that sort of lifestyle. I, you know, um, and you'll never get the um, the rewards, I think, that you're due for the hard work that goes into that lifestyle, you know? Mm. And I'm just basing that on, you know, my own experience, but also all my friends and colleagues, you know, the people that are doing really, really well. I've always been like, man, it's just to be better. They deserve more than what mm-hmm. they get, you know? And we're always making sacrifices in that life as a musician. And it's because everything is set up that way. The, the 
it's just set up. The deck is stacked against you. The money you make for live performances just goes down, down, down over time. The, the, the money you make as a recording artist goes down, down over time. And it's just, oh, this is a trend that's been going on for so long. Um, and there's, I feel like there's a lot of exploitation when it comes to musicians and artists, you know, people expecting you to do things that in any other career, no one would ever ask you or expect that of you. You know, it's things just crazy, you know, so it's just a battle and a fight. So I look at this as like, wow, this is the first time in baby history that tables are suddenly turned for a minute. And if you can kind of get on top, everybody can, you know, there's room for everybody to participate in this too. This isn't Absolutely. like you got to win some sort of internet lotto to, you got to work hard. But if you, you know, if you're already working hard, you know, <laughs> as a musician to survive, you know, you just got to uh, redirect the energy somewhere else. Mm. Um, and we can create, we have the opportunity to create new platform that is not, um, you know, exploitative like the record companies, like media, like all the rules that are in place are against musicians and artists. And right now, in this brief moment, like we're rewriting the rules. I have no doubt that big corporations are going to come in and they already are and try to, you know, do the same thing that they've always done so that musicians will be creating the content and they'll be making all the money again. But right at the moment, there is lots of opportunity to circumvent that. Yeah. Look, Jay, man, we're, we're running out of time. That was that was a great answer. We're running <laughs> out of time here. We got a few more minutes and um, and we got to let you go. But if there are there any any things you want to want to talk about so that people can consume and, you know, like your website and. Yeah, I mean, plug. if you play the saxophone and you want to uh, learn some more, go check out the YouTube channel. There is like just tons of hours of free content on there to check out. If you want to go to the next level, I got my courses, which you can find on bettersax.com. And uh, and yeah, and then my Instagram account where I just post more like fun stuff and just, you know, Instagram stuff. Yeah, that's where all the cat videos are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Jay, I, I have to say thank you so very, very much for your time. Thank you so much for um, sharing all of your experiences and um, and opinions with us this uh, this morning, this morning slash afternoon. Um, and and you know also outside of this, I, I really appreciate the uh, the work you've been doing with with YouTube and and again providing educational like high quality educational content for people. Uh, all out, uh, all over the world, and I, I know, you know, as, as someone who has consumed your content, and I, I have, uh, you know, many of my students who, who've checked you out, and I know you're you're really positively impacting a lot of people in the world, and, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for for doing that and, and spending your your afternoon with us today. My great pleasure. Thank you both for having me. Thank you. This is the Working Artist Project. My name is Darian Douglas, and uh, my name is Gregory Ajid. Jay, thank you very much. We'll catch y'all later.